Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Consulting with the Cause. For today's episode, we have our wonderful editor Ned stepping in for Pip today. Hey guys, uh, before we start, a quick message to our University of Melbourne student listeners. Uh, the 1ADC branch are giving away a $100 prize. To enter, head to the 1ADC Facebook page and sign up for a free chance to win. This week, we have a very special guest who's actually joining us all the way from Germany. Our guest, Dr. Franz Wolgenzorgen, is a senior lecturer and researcher in management and marketing at the University of Melbourne and was also the academic subject coordinator for the global management consulting subject offered by the University of Melbourne. Having completed his PhD in management and organization from Northwestern University, Dr. Franz has centered his research around areas of leadership and strategy. He incorporates a diverse range of interdisciplinary research spanning from medicine to architecture and to political science to provide wider perspectives on issues like climate change, sustainability, and mental health. Hi, Dr. Franz. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking your time to chat with us, especially with this week's episode being conducted over Zoom. Uh, but to start off, Dr. Franz, if you could please give our listeners an introduction to who you are, a project you're currently working on, and your past experiences in consulting. Yeah, I think David already did a great job uh, to covering covering all the basics, right? So I'm a senior lecturer here at, um, at FBE at the University of Melbourne. And um, yeah, you talked about my research interest already a little bit. Um, so I, the way that I think about it is that I'm really trying to understand how uh, professionals and organizations uh, work together to tackle great challenges and have a positive impact on society, right? And that core interest, right, that that informs my research on collaboration, on, on governance, on organization design, um, and it also shapes my teaching, of course. And um, on the personal side, so I'm, I live in Melbourne now for a bit more than six years uh, with my partner, who's also an academic, uh, with uh, our 12-year-old daughter, and um, uh, I love architecture, I love classic movies. Um, now, a uh, current project, so one of the things uh, that I'm working on at the moment uh, that I'm very excited about is uh, international collaboration of scholars from the, uh, from the US, from China, and from Australia on climate change adaptation uh, governance, and uh, I'm actually the only management guy in that group uh, everybody else is political scientist or environmental scientist. And what we're trying to figure out is um, to basically the, to identify commonalities and differences in how different countries try to um, govern and organize uh, responses, uh, um, adaptation responses to climate change, right? So is, is the approach in China fundamentally different than it is here in Australia? You know, how so, you know, what's the, what's the impact of that? And the hope is that, uh, well, first of all, we help uh, people uh, in those respective countries kind of get a, uh, get an overview of uh, like what governance um, uh, choices are there, and uh, possibly then also think a little bit beyond what the what the current practice is, uh, and get some inspiration from the modes and from the experiences that other countries have have gained. So that's that's uh, that's ongoing, uh, and uh, yeah, as I said, very exciting, very exciting project. Yeah, awesome. Well, to just touch on your past experiences a little bit, 
Um, you have studied and worked in many places around the world, from Europe to North America, and now here teaching in Melbourne. And so with such a wealth of experience of different cultures and in countries and cities, what kind of positive impact did that have on you from both a personal perspective and a professional career perspective? Yeah, I was always um, really motivated to 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 work um globally, if you will, right? So to, to go abroad. And I should say, just to contextualize, I, um, you know, I was born in uh, in East Germany uh, before the wall came down. And um, as, as you might know, right, uh, during the um, during the time of the Soviet Union, the, the Soviet bloc, essentially, you couldn't travel anywhere you liked, right? You could travel within the, you know, the Soviet, uh, Soviet bloc, but you couldn't mm-hmm. travel to the West, you couldn't travel to the, uh, to the US. So it was all very restricted. So in that in that kind of environment, I was like, oh, you know, this this would be fantastic if I could, you know, go right. uh, yeah. go further, go further afield. So this was when I was when I was very young, and um, uh, that that kind of motivation stayed with me. And uh, consulting was for me the the best uh, pathway to make that uh, to make that to make that happen, right? And um, and and it and it did. Um, so when I was uh, twenty two, essentially. Um, you know, I started, as you said, working uh, across three continents, four continents, uh, as a as a consultant. That was very exciting. Now, what did that do to me? Um, well, first of all, um, you know, the the experiencing these different uh, national cultures, right, uh, really uh, really broadens uh, your perspective. Right? So it really broadened my perspective, and particularly, it kind of raised awareness for me of uh, my own biases right my own mm. uh, cultural conventions that that i'm stuck in uh, and it it raised my it raised my awareness that um all the you know major challenges in business uh, that that you can think about right be it uh, kind of a strategy um for for you know dealing with let's say digitization or be it sustainability all those things are uh, are inherently global right they're inherently interconnected so it, it's not enough to come up with a solution that makes sense in Australia uh, if you don't figure out how this also then works in Indonesia and Argentina uh, and so on and so forth, right? So and, and I'm mentioning those two countries because I honestly don't have a I don't have an idea how a digitalization strategy, for example, would work in Indonesia or Argentina because I've you know I haven't had a chance to work there. So so having that awareness, right, that you know everything is 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 essentially globally interconnected. And, and being aware of your own kind of preconceptions and, and limited understanding, I think that's that's big. And, and I'm hoping that kind of that awareness um, uh, I can bring into into my consulting, obviously, but uh, but also into my uh, into my into my teaching. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess just expanding on from that, I guess. So, what are your are your biggest challenges when you personally are kind of moving to a new city or country? Um, is it just following on like? those same type of things or is it more on a personal sort of level you mean when i'm when i'm actually moving there to stay there for for quite a while or just uh, yeah you, you know you personally well the, the the biggest challenge really is is usually uh logistics right <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> just getting everything sorted um uh i remember when i was in the us uh when i moved to the us for the phd um there was this chicken and egg problem um of uh, you know getting an apartment you needed a bank account but to get a bank account you needed a you needed a residential <laughs> address right yeah, so maybe, yeah. you know it's it's 
it's silly stuff like this, right? That really dominates the uh, the first few weeks. Um, but you know, once once you have that, uh, once you have, and it, of course, is a lot. It's even more fun when you don't speak the language. So when we moved to Italy, like that was a whole different, uh, whole different story and dealing yeah, with right. the uh, with the authorities and with the, the different departments there to get your permits and whatnot. Um, but once you're over that, uh, I mean, it really is. Uh, I think very exciting in many ways because it's it's always a fresh start, right? I mean, you don't abandon your networks, but but all of a sudden, who used to be your kind of social environment is is very far away. And you are in a completely new uh, social context, right? Um, and uh, you know, to some degree, that's a very kind of American idea, right? But you really do kind of reinvent yourself to some degree, right? As you're uh, as you're starting a starting a new job and and to some degree, like a new life in a uh, in a different in a different country. Um, and I think you want to embrace that. Not not that you're like changing completely of, of who you are, right, and how you behave. But there's there's an opportunity to um, to to make a fresh start, right? To um, uh, to to really be open and embrace a very different, uh, very different set of colleagues, um, very different set of friends uh, than than you've had had in the past, right? And and that I find very invigorating. And I had that experience pretty much every every single time that I that I've moved uh, moved somewhere, and, and I think my life is richer for it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like every time you make such a big change, like moving to a whole new country, it's always a time where you're going to grow a lot, mm. you know, especially when you do new things and meet new people and stuff like that. Um, a super really interesting fact that we found during our research of, of you is that um, you are currently and have been for a long time the course director for a Coursera course called um, International Leadership and organizational behavior mm-hmm. um, and for some of our listeners who may not have heard of Coursera it is like this open source online platform where anybody can sign up and like learn a new skill um, they have like hundreds of classes that they can choose from um, I guess kind of like what we were curious about is how did you get involved in designing this online course and what was that whole process like so this was a few years back now um, and um, uh, this was in I think it was 2014 that we started uh, to develop this, um, so ancient history. Uh, but the, at the time, uh, Coursera was was a lot smaller than it is today, right? There's uh, far fewer institutions on there and far fewer courses than they have today, right? They have, they've been very, very successful in the time since, uh, really grew massively. Um, and uh, so at the time when, when we did the project, uh, Bocconi, um, uh wanted to be um wanted to be amongst the early adopters essentially and offer uh, a small set of uh, subjects uh, online right and um they had a um, terrific teaching innovation group uh, led by Luigi Proserpio and um, uh, Luigi and I quickly became friends and Luigi's inspiration support uh, during those years is also the reason why you know if you if you look at the course uh, there's actually a plushie a stuffed um a stuffed mascot of Luigi from the Super Mario Brothers in some of the videos um so the uh, this this is where I originated Luigi proposed to me uh and uh, I was, was very very happy to um, kind of embark on that and it was a one year process to to get that uh, get that done right so it's uh, it's six lessons essentially i think it's about roughly eight hours of video or so right so we worked on that for a year 
uh, six months of that was just pre-production uh, to figure out how we want to shoot an online course, right? Because uh, at the time, uh, this, like I said, a few years ago, uh, Coursera courses often were basically filming professors narrating in front of bookshelves, and we definitely didn't want to do didn't want to do that, right? So we had the the no bookshelf rule, um, and uh, what we wanted instead was to show the campus. Um, as we're teaching right the different and not just one area but but multiple areas we want to have dialogue with students in that in that online course uh so that we would have kind of recorded uh case discussions and and debates and whatnot uh, i had a dialogue with myself as well so but be on camera twice um we filmed in the in the gym and all those so we experimented essentially right uh and that was uh, great fun uh learned a lot and as you can imagine uh, during COVID, when we all switched to online teaching, that a lot of those experiences really came in, uh, came in handy then to think, well, what what can I take from that experience where I had a whole crew to uh, to to do this? Uh, what can I take uh, if I have to do this myself at home? So that was uh, that was pretty handy in uh, in, in retrospect, and I'm 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 quite surprised. You know what? You know you you're, you know you're looking for for consulting with a cause and for impact, right? So this one project, right? um has run now on Coursera for well for seven seven years eight years um people are still taking the course I'm still getting kind of the LinkedIn updates on people kind of completing the thing and um and I think we have 70,000 ish kind of people enrolled so that's way more than I've ever taught in any traditional university setting right so that's um that's a good thing, right? So I think it's a it's a terrific platform, and I would I would I would highly recommend it as a as a complement, right? So as an addition to what you do at the at the university, um, I did I did a Coursera course, for example, when I took over uh, the management consulting subject um, on project management. So I took the Google uh, courses on project management because I never had formal project management training. So um, there's a lot of lot of great material there. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I also have to have taken a Coursera course. It was like a computer science class on like C programming mm -hmm. that Duke offered. But I was just kind of curious as to, um, was this something that Coursera came to you guys about? Or was it something that you and the university kind of sought after? The way that it worked back then, and I'm, I'm not entirely certain how it works uh, these days, right? Is that the the at the university level they would uh, they would make an agreement essentially with Coursera um, that they would become a partner, and uh, then I think part of that agreement uh, entailed obviously support that Coursera would give on on how to, you know, technically, um, basically produce those those courses, and they they had some some advice on the pedagogy as well. Uh, but but essentially the production was all done uh, and and conceived by the by the university. Um, I would imagine that kind of a similar situation is is there now, right? So there's a there's a a formal uh, kind of partnership that you become a provider on uh, on Coursera. So if if uh, uh, the two of you wanted to uh, do a course tomorrow and uh, put it on Coursera, um, I think you would. Uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly how that would work, right? It would probably work if you were to do it under the uh, under the agreement that Melbourne University might have with with Coursera, right? So I think it's a, it's really an institutional level, uh, institutional level thing, right? 
Yeah, I, I think we should get the course going. I think we'll pass one and one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so generally, like when students think of consulting, um, they may kind of solely think of like in the corporate sense. Um, and you yourself working at a firm like Bayer, um, for people that may not be aware, um, what consulting looks like when it's taken up in an academic sense, um, would you ever explain to our listeners what that might entail and whether it differs from working as part of a firm? Sure. So let me uh, let me try to understand what what comparison you would like me to uh, uh, to draw here. Is it is it the difference between uh, working for a consulting firm versus being employed in a corporation, say Unilever, or is it difference between working for a consulting firm or working freelance consulting or academic consulting? Mm, the difference between like freelance academic consulting as like and compared to something like. The big four or something yeah well um hmm. there's a lot of commonalities and there's a there's a there's a few there's a few differences right so at the at the heart uh at the heart of it all for me consulting is a is a is an aspiration to some degree a noble aspiration and, and a process and that is true whether you work for the big four or any other consulting firm or whether you do it uh kind of independently uh, as an academic consultant or or a contractor, right, and and the the noble aspiration um, for me is that you personally want to strive for a level of 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 excellence in a professional domain, so that your advice and your support is valuable to other professionals, right? Even even really experienced professionals, right. So you want to you want to reach that kind of level that you can really add that add that value, and uh, clearly that's that's the case, independent of what context you you do consulting work, right? And and a part of that obviously is because the the world is always moving on, uh, new challenges uh, abound. Uh, part of that uh, aspiration is that you constantly uh, develop and and hone your your knowledge and your skills. And you want to stay at that at that frontier, right? Uh, so that you constantly stay at that at that edge. Um, now, as a as an academic consultant, um, I think that's that's inherently in being an academic, right? Because you're always trying to be at the forefront of knowledge, right? You're really trying to push that uh, that that frontier uh, that frontier uh, ahead, and and in a different way, you do that also within a large uh, within a large consulting firm. Right now, um, so that's the aspiration for me. I think that's that's basically the same, right? Um, now the the process of consulting, right? So is essentially that you you are able to uh, support and facilitate, if you will, from the earliest stages of problem identification down to kind of detailed planning of a uh, implementation of a solution, right? And um, as a as a management consultant, you then bring in your your methods and your tools for each of those stages. Uh, you try to ensure an optimal outcome for your client. You bring in all your analytical skills, your social and emotional skills, and whatnot. Right. Um, as a as an academic consultant, obviously a lot of those uh, tools and methods are going to be more let's say idiosyncratic in some part, right? Rather than kind of the, the, the methods that are established and refined by the firm uh, and that you've been kind of trained in and learned from colleagues and so on and so forth. Uh, but as an academic consultant, obviously they're also a lot more rooted in research, right? 
So when I when I get called onto a project, people have no uh, illusions that I'm going to be some some uh, kind of Bane replacement or BCG replacement, right? I, I do approach things differently, right? And, and, and clearly clients are, are well aware of that, that I would, for example, a recent project uh, that I actually did for one of the, uh, one of the large consulting firms, uh, we basically analyzed how they, <laughs> we analyzed how they analyzed a certain client project, right? And commented on whether that mm-hmm. is, uh, whether that is robust uh, in light of, of research, right? And whether that is methodologically sound uh, given what we know about, uh, you know, robust uh, research methodology and, and robust measurements and, and all that sort of thing, right? So that's different, uh, I would say. Um, but the, 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 the overarching, like the, the, the key thing, and the reason I'm still, you know, I'm still excited about uh, uh, doing consulting work, the key thing that's, that's, that remains the same is just the work context, right? Um, that you come in as an external consulting when you know, in a circumstance where your client is basically ready to do something, right? That there is a sense of urgency, that they're interested in an independent voice, right? That they, that they don't just want to do this internally, right? They are they're at a point where they have that kind of sense of urgency. And I personally, I love those conditions to, to, to work, right? So it's, it's not just that you have a, like a really challenging problem that you can deal with, right? But you're working in an environment where people are ready to really tackle that, right? And um, I think that that plays to my strength, right? I, I don't have the patience for, for advocacy, like to try to get people to see that they really should be doing something, right? So when you come in as a consultant, they already see that, which I think is great. And uh, generally speaking, and uh, I, I don't think I have enough political skill really to, um, uh, you know, to present something any other way than as a kind of reasoned, candid, independent judgment, right? So... I'm not. I'm not one for kind of politically packaging things in such a way that it doesn't upset anyone, right? So as a consultant, I think that's a that's kind of the the, the environment that you're that you're working in often, um, and I think that's great. I mean, for me, that's kind of the ideal working environment. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so we're going to touch on um, your previous work as the subject coordinator for global management consulting. Um, and so just for those um, kind of listeners that are not too sure about what it is or just um, some information about it, how it's structured um, and what makes it so unique, um, so you can provide some, some bit of detail on that. Sure. Yeah. So it's a, it's a capstone subject. Uh, and the core of the subject is a three-week uh, consulting uh, project uh, for a, an international uh, real-world client, right? Um, and... You work on the project in a team of four to five students. And there's a bit of prep before that three-week project starts. And there's some, some work after the project period is over. Uh, but, the, but the project itself really is the, is the core experience. Right? And the student teams interact directly with the client. And I don't interfere in that at all. Right? So the, the students own the relationship. Uh, I'm just there essentially as, and, and the other academic mentors that, that, uh, that supervise teams are there to really support the teams through, through that consulting process during those weeks, right? And it's uh, unusual in, in so far as that you um, apply separately for it, right? Uh, so you don't just pick it from the, from the course catalog. Uh, and uh, for many of our students, it's the, 
the most challenging and the most rewarding experience that they've had during their under, undergrad degree and, and probably the hardest that they've ever worked for three weeks. And um, uh, it's also a bit unusual in that I, I don't really teach much in the traditional sense, right? So I, there's no lectures, there's no exam, right? It's really, it's really mentoring uh, the teams and the individual team members, right? As they're dealing with the... Uh, with, um, unanticipated kind of challenges of those of those projects right so that i think is is fairly uh, is fairly unique right absolutely um so so suppose there was like a really difficult case that like a group had to work on um so you as like the mentor and the subject coordinator kind of there to help support them through this process correct yes right awesome well, you know, the, there there's a variety of things, right? So I always, there's a variety of things, right? I always think about this uh, as most challenges fall into one of three kind of categories, right? Mm -hmm. So the first category is 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 really just the, the the task itself, right? Intellectually, how do we crack the yeah. the the consulting project that we're meant to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we can. I'm there to support kind of brainstorming and and considering what sources might be relevant and and how to dimensionalize the 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 the, uh, the problem. Right. Then there's issues with how to how to best manage the relationship with the client. Right. So there can be there can be issues there. Uh, sometimes there's kind of cultural barriers or language barriers uh, that they have to manage. Um, and then the third is uh, how do we deal with the, how do we deal with the team dynamics? Right. So how do we deal with situations where uh, let's say, David and Ned, you both have great ideas, but you violently disagree about which one of those uh, really should be implemented as the right way to go. Um, and if you have really, really talented people right, <laughs> that feel very strongly and very motivated about their work, that can be challenging. Right? So for, for those sorts of things and, and anything else that comes up, uh, that's what the academic mentors are for and, and to help the, help the teams and the, and the people in the teams through it. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, this subject is a pass-fail subject. But even in that kind of regard, how like are students or groups and teams like graded on their performance? Is like a successful delivery, um, you know, indicative of like a good performance? Yeah, it's not pass-fail. You do you do get a grade, <laughs> and um, um, and uh, you know, just like you would for for uh, pretty much the vast majority of other subjects. Um, the, the work that the student teams do for the subject is um, usually of exceptional quality, right? So way above anything I see in other subjects. And uh, you can imagine, right? So five people that are selected that work intensely for three weeks on something, you can get pretty amazing outcomes, right? And the, and the grades reflect that. Uh, so we had a uh, we had a team that was working on on a, a battery industry project, right? They had no prior knowledge and were to analyze uh, basically lithium mining projects around the world, right? So from uh, beginning beginning of the three weeks, zero knowledge about the industry or the technology, to uh, yeah. at the end of the three weeks, uh, a a fantastic analysis of the various technical and sustainability and political challenges involved in these various projects. It was great, right? And uh, clearly, um, great work deserves a great, uh, great mark, right? So they, they um, so we see that quite often. Um, 
but it can also be right so it's not a it's not like you get into the subject get a get great uh, get a great grade um you know the teams that work hard um do so uh and uh, but but there's teams that struggle and some teams that's rare um don't see that quite as the call to excellence that we hope uh, they would see right and uh, they they would get a low grade as well right so that that happens it's rare um but it's not yeah it's not it's not a pass fail right so we we do look very closely at the quality of the of the presentations that are given of the reports that are created right so there there's there's a lot of a lot of focus there on the on the on the quality and on the detail that's provided. provided. Yeah, right. Well, it sounds like from what you described is like the something that all commerce students should try to look towards um, doing. It's certainly such a good opportunity. Um, so, what is some advice that you can give to students who are interested in the subject regarding the application, the selection process, and some kind of key criteria that you look out for? I, I don't think there's a there's a magic formula or anything uh, that automatically gets you in. Right. So the 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 basic things I, I would say I would encourage everyone who considers applying is you want to be really clear on what it is that you can bring to the consulting teams, right? And to, to the, to the consulting work. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, what, uh, skills, capabilities, uh, life experiences have you, have you made, uh, have you amassed, um, that uh, are relevant, right? And uh, clearly, we would want to know more than what subjects you picked and what course you're in. Um, but what is it that you think you can bring to uh, to a really challenging uh, consulting project that you work on with uh, uh, w- with a team, right? So that's that's the first thing. What do you what do you bring uh, as a as a consultant? And then the second thing, equally important, is what do you want to get out of uh, participating in the in the subject, right? So what are your personal um, development goals for uh, for taking part in this right um, and and that second one I would say is is really really useful uh, not just for 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 me or for us to to kind of review the applications but to be really clear is what do you want to get out of this right so it's a capstone project obviously there's it encourages you to kind of take everything that you've learned and um, and 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 apply it right and get a sense of you know how well can you integrate your knowledge but is is there some a particular set of skills capabilities that you're really looking to uh, to test or to develop further right so that that i would say is, is the two things that you really want to emphasize in the application absolutely look i think that's all that we have time for today um in our episode um, once again, thank you so much, Dr. Franz, for coming on to the podcast today. Um, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and chat with us. I'm sure our listeners found today's episode super insightful and really informative, especially things concerning like the, the global management consulting. Well, thank you very much.